Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't need a calendar to know this, but like college football and football in general is right upon us. I mean, the SEC uh, meetings, football meetings are, I guess, at, at the end of this week, this weekend, uh, which is incredible. And then, of course, the Bucks report to uh, training camp. Their first practice is July 27th. So we are here. And fortunately, that means that we get a chance to chat with Matt Baker, our college football writer for the Tampa Bay Times, who's done this incredible series on the big three college football programs, Florida State, Florida, and Miami, uh, the the domination that they enjoyed um, in the 80s and 90s, even as late as 2001, and and the precipitous fall that they've had, and whether or not they can get back there. So we're going to talk all about that. But first, uh, folks, if you've looked at your electric bill, you probably need to save some money right about now. I've got a solution for you. It's May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned business. They've been operating and installing solar electric systems for 12 years. And in a field where you got all these fly-by-night companies, May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and service warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's the May difference. So uh, you can visit their Hudson showroom. May Electric displays all of their products and conducts on-site testing so you can see exactly what they will install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. This is important. So you know exactly who is doing the job. So start saving money today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862 to schedule a free estimate. You can lower your electric bill all year long and preserve your quality of life and your appliances through every storm season. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. I got a special treat today. Matt Baker has written a fascinating three-part series on the big three college football programs in the state of Florida, the Gators, the Seminoles, and the Hurricanes, how they dominated college football uh, over several decades, really the 80s and 90s, uh, as late as 2001, and what led to their demise, and can they be dominant again? And Matt joins us now. And Matt, I wanted to ask you first and foremost, I mean, we're so you know, uh, versed in, it seems like we live college football, breathe college football in the state of Florida, and yet we've all kind of, kind of witnessed uh, the demise, the rise and fall of it. Um, but what prompted you to, to sort of do this, uh, the, this series in the first place? What was, what was behind what, what all this is about? Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me on. Um, so th- the first thing is, it's it's not like I'm breaking any news here that the state hasn't been very good for a while, just it, collectively. But it was a couple years ago where I remember kind of looking, when's the last time the state had multiple teams in the top 10? Because it had been a bit. And then that prompted the question, well, first of all, why aren't, why aren't, you know, why doesn't Florida have multiple teams in the top 10 the way it used to be? Why aren't they competing at that level? And then can they do it again? So I asked Mullen, you know, this is how far back it goes. It was in um, November of 2019. I asked Dan Mullen whether the state of Florida can still sustain multiple elite programs. And he said, well, you know, it used to be that way. And UCF might argue it's still there. So he didn't really give a good answer. 
But since then, and probably before, it had been in my head that I need to write about whether Florida can sustain multiple programs, whether that's even possible. And then eventually that kind of morphed into what it became, which is, can the big three ever be the big three again? And my first, I think the first real question I asked somebody about it, it was in May of 2021, Mike Norvell was in town for a, a he did a series for, with Florida State going around the state with for youth football um, camps in Tampa for a day. And then the next day they were in Orlando and, and what have you. Just kind of touring the state, getting their names out there. So we got a little time with him. And at the end of the, the scrum, I was just like, hey, do you think the state of Florida can still sustain a big three? And that was the first question that I really asked on the record about it. And then, what, 14 months later, we, I finally had... Uh, I don't know, 10,000 words, including all the boxes and bells and whistles over three parts that we've uh, published now on TampaBay.com. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, it's a great read um, and, and an important one, I think, especially this time in college football. I mean, there was a, there was a time uh, when those three programs, it was going to be a question of which one would win a national championship. But it all began sort of with Howard Schnellenberger. And you talk about the importance of the right guy at the right time, the coaches that came along, Steve Spurrier, obviously Bobby Bowden. Um, Schnellenberger wins the national championship, and from there um, things start start happening with respect to coaching. But there are other factors that you get into, including, and something that I hadn't even considered, just the influx of, of, of young people into the state of Florida in general. Correct. So I think that the state of Florida, I think the big three became the big three. For, for a couple of reasons. Part of it, it was the right people. Um, like you said, <laughs> when you start with Bobby Bowden's Howard Schnellenberger, Steve Spurrier, <laughs> yeah, then you include Dennis bad. Erickson, uh, Jimmy Johnson. Then you go down yeah. to the assistants, right? Where yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Larry Coker w- was an assistant with Miami before he won the national title there. And Bob Stoops and Mark Stoops and Ed Orgeron and Mark Richt and Tommy Tuberville and yeah. uh, Charlie Strong. On and on and on. The assistants were ridiculous so yeah. you put those you know the, the right people in there and then the the right approach was the next thing and that's recruiting the state first um it sounds obvious but it wasn't ob- always obvious i mean when, when you go back when uh, uh you know miami won their first title in 83 a decade earlier i think it was more than half the roster was from outside the state of florida at, at miami because they didn't you know they didn't think either there was enough talent or Obviously, Miami, a private school the way they are, had a lot of alumni, a lot of connections to up in the Northeast. So that's where their players came from. But eventually, Schnellenberger realized uh, there's enough dudes here in this area where if we keep them home, we can be pretty daggone good. And of course, they were. And then the the third factor was the right time, because you can you know just decide I'm going to recruit the state of Florida really well. But if the state of Florida is not that good, it doesn't matter. Um but it, it just so happened that the state of Florida was really good with, with players. And, and that was a large part because of this population boom. In, in the 1950s, Florida grew in terms of the percentage of growth in the state of Florida. That was the highest growth of any state in the country over the last 100 years was the state of Florida in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And then in the 1960s and 1970s, it was growing a lot. And it was growing a lot with kids where the, the, the number of um, you know, teenagers was, was doubling over, I think it was from 1960 to 1980. So Fascinating. why does that matter? Well, you've got a bunch of, of, it's not just like Florida was growing with old people or young professionals who move in. It was growing with kids who could become football players. And that's how you get 
<laughs> go back to this 1991 recruiting class, okay? I, I knew there was a lot of talent in there. But oh my God. when you start with, this, these are high school players from the state of Florida who signed with the big three. When you start with Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp, that's pretty good. Mm. <laughs> and then you include Derek Alexander, who was a first-round pick at FSU and the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Ellis Johnson with the Gators, who was CNN's National Defensive Player of the Year. Kevin Carter was an All-Pro with the Rams. Chris Doring was a walk-on from Gainesville at Florida, who, when he left uh, the Gators, was the all-time SEC's all-time leader in touchdown catches. That, and that's just part of the list from one year's recruiting class with the state players who signed with the big three. And then you multiply that times 10, 15 years, and you get the run that they had, which was unprecedented in college football history. You know, it, In the first 50 years of the Associated Press college football poll, there was only one state that had three top 10 teams in one year, and it was Indiana, randomly, with Notre Dame, Indiana, and Purdue. The, the big three did it four times in a decade. So that's just how unprecedented and how rare it was to happen. And it happened because of this confluence events of events, this kind of perfect storm, this perfect hurricane, I guess, if you will, to make it happen where the state was the juggernaut for, you know, you can kind of fudge the dates a little bit, but I, I focused on 91 to, to 01. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, you know, at one, at one point, of course, you mentioned Sapp and Brooks, first ballot Hall of Fame players. That played for the Bucks, Derek Alexander was actually taken ahead of Warren Sapp for various reasons uh, in that draft. But um, going back to Schnellenberger, I, I used to watch a show, uh, and it was the Howard Schnellenberger show, um, uh, and it was on what amounted to a UHF channel, Channel Forty Four. I don't know if people remember that a hundred years ago, uh, but uh, it came on, and, and Schnellenberger would be sitting there with his pipe, talking about his three quarterbacks. And we got Jim Kelly, and then behind him we got uh, this guy named Bernie Colzar, and then a really, a really talented guy behind him is Benny Testaverde. And I'm like, think about that. Think about Jim Kelly, Bernie Colzar, and Benny Testaverde all lined up at the University of Miami to play quarterback. It's it just you think about you know where would that happen today, and it's just it's unprecedented. It, it's absolutely ridiculous the talent that he was able to amass, and that the other ones were <laughs> able to amass. Just go through the players in there. I mean, Michael Irvin at Miami, and then oh. Emmett Smith, and, and yeah. just on and on and on, where there was an insane amount of talent in the state. Um, it, not, not all the quarterbacks you mentioned were from the state, but they could go out and get you know Shane Matthews and, and some of those guys. But just the amount of talent in the state where they were able to keep a whole lot of it home. Not mm -hmm. everybody. I mean, Tommy Frazier, I, I still think, is probably the best player of my lifetime um, mm -hmm. going, going from, from Manatee High School to Nebraska. But sure. almost everybody else they were able to, to keep home. Um, you know, in, in 91, that one class, um, I think it was there were 15 players um, that were among the top 100 in the country, according to the Tampa Tribune that year. And, and 11 of them stayed in the state. I mean, 11 of them went to the big three. And then compare that to the way it is now where the 21 22 classes almost everybody leaves uh, i think it was uh and 21 four of only four of the 13 top players in the state stayed at the big three everybody else left where bama's getting some clemson's getting some georgia's getting some oklahoma gets some and, and you know that if, if i had to distill what went right versus what's gone wrong it, it's those numbers right there that's the issue yeah, for sure. Um, you know, uh, 
things have changed, to say the very least. We'll get into um, what's going on now, but recruiting was far different back in those days than it is today. Um, maybe not as much information was available to these other programs about the players in Florida. Um, just, just how much of that, you mentioned, you know, Schnellenberger, and there's a great story uh, about a watering can <laughs> and Howard Schnellenberger as well. Um, but just, you know, the, the recruiting, the changes in recruiting, how that benefited those, the big three back in the day and where it doesn't today. Yeah, no question. So back in those days, there was no internet, at least not at, at the level it is today or anything close to it. Um, cable TV, you know, there was no Big Ten network, no SEC network, anything like that. There was no huddle. There was no Twitter mm-hmm. or Facebook. Mm-hmm. So if I was a college football recruiter, my job would be to connect with the, the high school coaches everywhere to try and, you know, to try and get the dudes. And if I were in the big three and recruiting the state of Florida, I probably had buddies at Jefferson High School or uh, St. Pete High School or, or um, Apopka, whatever it is. And those buddies would help me out and I'd get an earlier start on Rick Stroud, who's only a freshman right now, but goodness gracious, in three years, this Stroud kid's going to be a star. So that would allow me to help kind of build the relationship earlier and, and just get in on the ground floor where, you know, compare that to today, you know, there, mm. there's camps and combines and what have you. And there was a camp in, in Orlando not too long ago where right. um, what they could do is uh, I think almost every, I think every power five program, but one was signed up for this camp or combine, whatever it was. So what that means is every rep was recorded, all the heights and weights were taken. And then at the end of the day, um, the people who run this camp or combine could send all that stuff to every school in the country with one click of the button. So today's Rick Stroud uh, goes to this camp and it's, you know, Miami, Florida, Florida State, they find out at the same time as Georgia, Georgia Tech about this 15-year-old Rick Stroud who's, who's blowing up from St. Pete High or whatever it is. So that's the difference or that's one of the differences where you can't, you know, there aren't any more, there, there are very, very few diamonds in the rough. There are very few people, very few recruits that are under the radar that, that for some reason that the, the recruiters aren't finding it. That's not the way it is anymore. If it is, then the high school coach is not doing his job and the college recruiters aren't doing their job either. So because of that, that, that built in advantage where Florida had a huge head start on a state that was exploding with kids who were become really good football players that doesn't exist anymore. And as a result, you know, Alabama and Georgia are able to get on and, and Clemson, they're able to get on, on some of these recruits on the ground floor too. And without that built-in head start for the state of Florida, and, and let's be let's be fair here, the same thing. This is not a Florida-specific problem. We're talking about Florida because we're with the Tampa Bay Times in the state of Florida, but it's the same thing in California, right? Where you know one of the best players they've had, the state of California's had in a long time, Bryce Young, goes to sure. Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. DJ Uyunglele signed with Clemson. Najee Harris, the running back from from uh, from California, signed and started Alabama. Um, there was a DB, I'm blanking on his name, went to, um, from California, went to LSU, another superstar kind of recruit. So it's not just a Florida problem. However, it is a problem that is hitting, the, the national recruiting as a whole is hitting Florida harder than other places, other than, you know, maybe Texas to some degree and, and California. Yeah, I mean, since 90, I mean, you write about 91, the year after Steve Spurrier took over the Gators, uh, just to put these three in, in perspective Miami won its fourth national title Florida State finished number four and Florida at number seven the first time in college football history that a single state 
place three teams in the top seven. I mean, just to imagine that happening now. Let's talk about how it became broken, and we've hit on some of these subjects um, already, such as such as recruiting. Um, where they got it right, hard to do better than a Howard Schnellenberger, uh, a Jimmy Johnson, uh, Bobby Bowden of Steve Spurrier. They haven't had that much success since then hiring coaches. Um, there, there has been a lot of trial and error with these three programs in, in terms of, of finding that right guy. And it's not all to blame the coaches because they, they're dealing with a different hand. Um, but there's been some swing and misses at these programs. <laughs> yeah. Put it a mildly. Bit. Yeah. Um, it, it's been, it's been really, it's been bad. Um, let's face it where there yeah. have, you know, since in the last 20 years, yes, there have been some good hires. Uh, Jimbo won a national title and modernized Florida state. Urban Meyer won two national titles. Uh, Mark Rick had, a, you know, took Miami to the best they've been in two decades at, at Florida in particular, you know, for the last couple of coaches have had at least flashes of success, right? Where McElwain went, won the East twice and, and Muschamp went to the sugar bowl and Mullen had the new year six bowl. They just couldn't sustain it for one reason or another. Um, but you know, you look at some of the other hires, Willie Taggart was a disaster at Florida state. It just, there's no other way to put it. Um, Randy Shannon struggled at Miami. Al Golden did never seem to fit at Miami. I, I'm still not sure what would have happened long-term with Manny Diaz had he not, had he gotten another year. Um, but the, the fact is he didn't prove that he deserved another year. So it, it's been a bunch of bad, generally speaking, it's been a bunch of bad head coaching hires and there's other factors in there too. Um, the assistant coaches are nowhere near what they used to be. Um, you know, you go back to that, the big threes glory days, the run they had, Three coaches from those staffs won national titles. In the last, I think it was 10 or 11 years, the big threes had only three coaches from, you know, three of the guys from those coaching trees, the assistants, go out and, be three, and have a winning record. So you go from three head wow. coaches who won national titles to now there's three head coaches with winning records. At the, I mean, so, so they're just not evaluating the staff well, um, and the head coaches aren't working out. And then the other major factor in there, too, is there's so much attrition so quickly. And I can go in and argue, you know, the, the reason for getting rid of everyone that they did, the reason to why you got rid of Manny Diaz after three years, if you're Miami, why Willie Taggart lasted 21 games, um, why Jim McElwain didn't go through three seasons. I, I understand logically, and I don't necessarily disagree with how those all those things all shook out. But the problem is, if you do this over and over and over again, Something gets lost in there where you, you keep bringing in new assistant coaches. You've got quarterbacks who are on, you know, <clears throat> what, what, what was Florida State? They had like four offensive coordinators in four years or something, four player callers in four years. That's a, what's a quarterback going to do in that situation, right? Like you, you add in that and then just, okay, I want this kind of tight end. You want that kind of tight end. All right, people are going to be lost in the shuffle. You've got dead weight on your rosters, all that stuff where it, it just – accumulates and accumulates and it leads to a situation a situation where the program falls behind and it's that much harder to catch up because of all these coaching changes and a lot of that's you know chris doring said and i agree with him a lot of that's the fault of the fan bases where they can be very impatient again i understand it but at, at some point these things these problems come to a head and that happens when you have you keep going through coaches and you know having transition recruiting classes that are notoriously bad 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Matt, you know, I think, and you kind of struck on this, I think patience is something that we don't as a society really reward these days. And, um, you know, for a guy like Mullen, who who did some good things, and you mentioned specifically like some of the player development, was not a good recruiter, uh, failed in that area to say the least. Um, and I don't, you know, look, I, I don't disagree necessarily with the decision to fire him. Um, I'm wondering what, what you think of sort of like the current group of coaches at these schools right now? Do they, do they have it right, do you think, given all the factors that we've been talking about? This is the, the bad answer, but I don't know. Um, yeah. you know this, this is year three for Mike Norvell, and I still don't know whether he can yeah. do it. I yeah. think if you give him enough time, I think the answer is probably yes. Um, I think I, from, from the time I've been around him, I think I believe in what he's selling. I think I really do. Um, and, and the way he's trying to build it, I think we've seen at Memphis that he can build a program the right way. And, and when he's got the dudes, he can scheme it up well enough. I don't think he's been completely outfoxed. You know, uh, from what I've seen, he hasn't, no, the results have not been good enough. I'm not going to dismiss that, but he hasn't been, he hasn't looked out of his league yet, I guess is what mm. I'd say. And, and the players did not give up on him. So yeah. I, I think he can do it. I don't know if he will, but I think he can. Um, Napier, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah. I understand the argument for him um, and that they, they think he can be a, rec- a good recruiter, a, a very good sure. recruiter, and build sure. this infrastructure the way it was at Bama and, and make them, you know, make Florida Bama, basically, or Georgia. Um I think he's, from the infrastructure standpoint, I think he's got it in place and I think it can work. Um but let's look at the other side of this too. One, I say this all the time, one head coaching failure, that happens. Every school in the country has, has whiffed on head coaches. It happens. Two in a row, eh, you know, sometimes you just get some bad luck, right? Florida's had a couple in a row now that did not live up to expectations or, or yeah. I mean, they didn't. They didn't win championships. So three in a row, maybe it's not all the coaches. And I yeah. think Florida is doing the right things again, especially with with getting Napier's army and, and and what have you, getting that in place. I think that's a step in the right direction. But if there's three coaches in a row that failed, maybe Florida is part of the reason why. And, and then yeah. with Mario at Miami, they're recruiting at a very high level right now. I think they they moved up recently the top ten class in, in 2023. They had some nice recruiting wins in their you know first couple weeks on the job, which I don't put a lot of stock in just because it's so hard. Um, and, and Mario's proven too. He's more proven than the other guys because he did coach at a high level at Oregon. Um, I, I think there were some legitimate questions about how he does on game days and, and that sort of thing, but he, he won games at Oregon, won at a high level. So I, I think of the three, I feel the most confident in him. Um, but let's face it, the way these coaching hires are, at least one of them is probably going to fail, maybe two. And, you know, you, you mentioned this in your series um, that 
you know, facilities have played such a big role in play, such a big role in college football. It's it's somewhat surprising, I guess, given their success. But those three schools lagged in that area. I mean, to the point where Florida is still playing catch up. I think to some degree, and Jimbo Fisher left. I think in part because he didn't see the commitment that he needed. You say it's surprising, and I don't disagree. But here's here's the other part of it. I'm going to read something that that Mark Rick told me. Miami won so much with so little for so long that they didn't really understand why we needed to keep up with the Joneses. Mm. And I think that is exactly right. I think it's even more pronounced at Florida, quite frankly, where for a while the Gators had the whole, Spurrier didn't need this, why do we need it? And Urban Meyer, to some degree, moved, got them moving forward, and then it stagnated, where it took uh, Will Muschamp a long time to try, he was trying to get it to an indoor practice facility built. And it took probably longer than it should have. And, and I'm not a huge facilities guy. I, I understand the importance, but I don't, I don't, I think sometimes it's overstated, but an indoor practice facility in the state of Florida. Yeah. I think you need that. There, there's a pretty clear yeah. uh, practical reason why just ask Lovey Smith. Um, so that, that was one example. And, you know, w- w- with the Gators, I, I remember talking with, uh, with some administrators there during the Jim McElwain era that they were going to build this standalone football complex that, that we, we really need. We're finally going to build it. Okay. They started the idea. started talking about it and plans and all that stuff under McElwain. They built it, started building it under Mullen. And now it's going to open under Billy Napier here in wow. the next you know, month or couple months. That's a long time. And I under- again, I understand there were logistical reasons with that. I don't want to get deep in the weeds, but there were some logistical reasons that you would understand. But that's a really, really long time to build this building that Georgia is building. And LSU's had something that they're already renovating and that sort of thing. The other thing is Florida State is is pretty far behind. You know, um, it was under Willie when they announced they wanted to build their own football complex and they still haven't broken ground on it. And mm. I'll, I'll read you something that um, Drew Weatherford, of course, that uh, former FSU quarterback. Now he's on the, the board of trustees at Florida State. This is something he said during February's board meeting because um, he had just recently gone on a tour of the, the football facilities. There was some lipstick put on, but to mm. a certain degree, it had actually regressed from when I was here. Oh, wow. He last played 14 years ago. <laughs> wow. So if if he didn't w- walk in through this building that he knows well, right? If he yeah. says not much has changed, and in some cases it's kind of worse, Wow. that's an issue. That's a major red flag. I, I don't think you have to have the biggest and fanciest and shiniest. But you do have to be in that conversation. You have you, you you can't be a former quarterback from fourteen years ago. Can't saying can't be saying eh, it doesn't seem that much much different. That's that's a problem in this industry. Yeah, for sure. I know uh, they haven't had the success of the big three necessarily, but how much did the advent of South Florida under Jim Levitt, UCF, uh, you know, having the year a couple years that they have had. Just, just more mouths to feed in the in the state of Florida. How much did that sort of will away at, at some of the talent pool? I, I can't quantify it. Um, I can't, it, but it's not zero. It's not a hundred percent of the issue, but it's not zero either. Okay, right, so right. Um, and I think it shows up in a couple ways. Um, one is just fan support, boosters, buying T-shirts, yeah. going to games, yeah. that sort of thing, yeah. right? Where mm-hmm. if there's 30,000 USF fans and 40,000 UCF fans on a Saturday, wh- whatever the numbers are, 
has 70,000 sure. people who aren't rooting for the Gators, Knowles, or Hurricanes um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at a stadium. So I think that plays a role. And I think if we look down the line here in the next 20, 30 years, I think that might that can be a factor as well. And then UCF and USF, they don't get a ton of recruits that the big three won. But again, it's not zero. Um, Quentin Flowers was recruited by the big three. I think Florida and, and Miami wanted him the most as an athlete, if I remember right. Okay, so so go look back and think about this. Miami 2017 had a, a fantastic defense, but their offense wasn't good enough. You put Quentin Flowers, I don't know if he was a court, would have been a quarterback there, but you put a Quentin Flowers on the field with that offense. Did they lose to Pitt on Black Friday to, to end the, mm. the perfect season? I don't know that they do. No. Um, you, you factor in like Adrian Killens, who was a great running back for UCF that Miami was after. You put him on some of those teams, and their offense isn't quite so bad. Um, Ryan Giddens from Armwood was a top 100 recruit who went to USF and, and had a, a fine career. So it's, again, it's not, you know, maybe it's just one or two every couple of years. But when, when the margin for victory and defeat is so small, a Ryan Giddens or a Quentin Flowers or Adrian Killens, those guys can make a difference. And even if it's just a little bit on the margins, a little bit on the margins over 20 years, and when you factor in the bad coaching hires and you factor in facilities and you factor in, we haven't talked about this yet, but high school football in the state, is, yeah. is there's some issues with that as well. And the population boom, not at what it was. And the ACC is stronger and the SEC is stronger. I think it took, a, like I said, a perfect storm, a perfect hurricane for the big three to have that insane success from 91 to 01. And then now we've seen kind of the polar opposite perfect storm where all these little things add up. And that leads it to where it was this past year where they had their worst combined record. The big three did since I think it was 1976. Okay, part two of our conversation with Matt Baker looking at the future of the big three college football programs, Florida, Florida State and Miami will resume on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, You know, one one thing that kind of uh, was a bit of news for us, Steve, the, the Tampa Bay area has, Tampa Bay has a new team. It's the Tampa Bay Strikers, the Indoor Soccer League, coming to Emily Arena. I expect them to win the championship in their first year, of course, in the NISL. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, the league's expanding from four to six teams, so this team will play at Yingling Center. It'll be both a men's and women's team. So whenever there's home games in the schedule and ticket info and all that will be done in the future. Uh, but you'll have a men and women's game back-to-back. So when you go to one of the games, you get to see both. So, yeah, that's the Ying, Yingling. How do you say it? Yingling Center. Yingling Center. Yes, on the that's, campus yeah, at USF not Emily, there. but the Yingling yes. Center at USF. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, I might have misspoke there. And then uh, tomorrow uh, or later this week, actually, we're going to have our mailbag segment. And just to tell you how to do that, submit your questions. You can do that online um, on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com as we mentioned uh, the Rays and the Red Sox resume their series as well hopefully uh, the Rays don't lose any more players to injury but uh, that's an important series for them obviously at the Trop so we'll have all that for you on the podcast uh, coming up tomorrow for Steve Bursting I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times have a great day everybody 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.